what do you think God hates worse? Wanting to be your own God or watching the ABC Friday Night lineup? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I did. Wow, that's that's really a deep question. Uh, I I don't remember saying that in seminary. Do you, Brian? No. Welcome to Talk and Truth, the podcast that brings together conservative pastor Brian Clark and famous comedian Dan Whitney, aka Larry the Cable Guy. I hope this ain't gonna be a disaster. Oh boy, here we go. They'll be talking truth about the Bible and life. Now let's join Brian for today's look at God's Word, followed by conversation and a little fun with Brian, Dan, and today's guest, Pastor Nat Crawford. Now, here's Brian. So where does life come from? Either there is some eternal being who is the author of life or what? How could life emerge from no life. For those of us with a Christian worldview, we do believe the first five words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. We believe before there was anything out there, there was God who has always been. We believe God is the author of life. Life is remarkable when you really stop and think about it. Whether you're talking about a plant or a bug, or a fish, or a dog, or a person, life is amazing. I mean, how much complexity does it take for that bug to walk across the sidewalk or fly through the sky? To think all this just happened without some designer is quite a leap of faith. When we believe God is the author of life, then we understand God defines the value of life or what we sometimes call the sanctity of life. However, when we travel the way of Cain, thinking we can be our own God, we quickly begin to devalue life. In Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel out of jealousy. Then still in chapter 4, Cain's descendant, Lamech, writes a poem about killing someone who got in his way. It's sobering to see the level of violence in only the fourth chapter of the Bible. By the time we get to chapter 6 in the days of Noah, we are told, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and all the earth was filled with violence. Of course, this plays out in the streets of our cities every night, and it all roots back to the decision to be my own God. When I convince myself that I can be my own God, that I can decide for myself what is right and wrong, then I devalue every life around me. It becomes the law of the jungle, or as is commonly believed, the survival of the fittest. In Genesis chapter 9, after Noah's exit from the ark, the language is reminiscent of Genesis 1 and 2 be fruitful and multiply. But how can Noah and his family survive the violence around them? So first, what about the danger from the animals? How can you be fruitful and multiply if you're getting attacked and eaten by the animals? The animals multiply much quicker and are far more strong and ferocious than the humans. The text tells us that God put the fear of man 
into every beast of the earth for the protection of Noah and his family. Before there were any modern weapons, why would any beast be afraid of any human? Practically speaking, the human is no match for the beast. Why should the 2,000-pound beast be afraid and flee from a 200-pound man? According to Genesis 9, God put this instinct into the beast to protect Noah and his descendants. Then what about the violence of the humans? How does God prevent the same thing as before the flood from happening again? The text goes on to say, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. This is really the first hint of what we might call civil government. By man his blood shall be shed. In other words, a justice system. Sin makes us selfish, and selfish makes us dangerous. Therefore, government and laws are required to be fruitful and multiply. The text is not promoting a vigilante system, but rather law and order with the understanding of the value of human life. The principle is that when a life is taken, meaning murder, then the killer's life should be taken in return to maintain the value of human life, what the law referred to as an eye for an eye. To God, life is sacred, and so should it be to us. This principle is intended to prevent the terrible violence that ruled the land before the flood. Today, it seems people are very selective about which murders outrage them. Sadly, in many ways, we've become accustomed to the violence, but they all outrage God. He is the giver of life. This shedding of blood theme is a very important theme in the Bible. In Genesis 3, one of the first things God does after Adam and Eve sin is he kills an animal. He sheds its blood to provide the skins to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. He had to cover their shame. The picture is that blood was shed to cover the shame of their sin. This theme is developed and pictured throughout the Old Testament and is ultimately fulfilled when Jesus, the Lamb of God, sheds his blood to cover the shame of our sins. He died for us. The images of blood may seem strange to someone who has never read the Bible before, but it's critical to understand these images all point to the fulfillment of the promise that God would send a Savior, pictured by the ark, to save us from the judgment for our sins that we actually deserve. Jesus died for us to give us eternal life. That's the ultimate statement of the sanctity of the life of people made in the image of God. People like you and me. That's the big story here. Let's bring in Dan and Nat, and let's talk about this. So if someone's not familiar with the Bible, 
hasn't been around church much. I can imagine all this blood talk that Christians talk about could be quite confusing and maybe a bit upsetting. Mm. So imagine somebody wanders through the door of the church and hears the lyrics of a great old hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood Hmm. drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Mm -hmm. How could that not be really confusing (laughs) to somebody that doesn't understand the story of the Bible? Well, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, you know, we had communion. I mean, I I literally said, well, we're drinking blood. We're (laughs) going to drink blood. What's going on? But that that's the thing. People I always love people that comment on biblical things that have no idea what they're talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, you have to read the Bible to understand the Bible. I don't mm-hmm. know uh, uh, people that are listening to the podcast that have come over to check it out. I mean, you have to everything is symbolization and symbolic and you know, I bought a book a long time ago that uh it was on uh, the Old Testament and how Everything in the Old Testament foretells the coming Savior of the New Testament. And it was just such an awesome book. Mm. And so when you literally read, I remember as just a youngster, just not even really knowing what I was talking about. My dad was a preacher, but I remember saying, wow, we don't. I remember thinking to myself, wow, we don't really need to read the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with the New Testament because Jesus came, and now we go by the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I remember saying that. Then when I actually started understanding and studying the Bible, the Old Testament is so important Mm. to the— I mean, it so goes with the New Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. And it is so important. Uh, But, yeah, the whole foretelling of Jesus' coming is that Old Testament. And so if people really read and understood, then the blood thing, of course, they wouldn't be as— freaked out about it. I do have one comment that I think is crazy. People talk about all the violence and that we're living in now and all that, but you know, Cain killed Abel. You literally had a a quarter of the population was destroyed. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you had a time there was a time in in the world where one quarter of the population died at one time. Oh, and that man. was that was it. What I think thought. I think it's interesting too that there were none of the factors that people say causes all the violence today. Mm, there weren't yeah. any of those mm. other than sin. Right. At the heart of all this is sin and selfishness, and that makes people dangerous. Well, and that's a very unpopular statement you made right there. Uh, 100% true, but very unpopular. I recently got into a discussion with some family members um, over just all the, th- I mean, all the things that have happened in the last few months, let alone year, uh, years, but some of the violence. And they started, well, then we got to legislate this. We got to do this and we got to do this. And I said, guys, that's not, that's not going to do anything at the end of the day because it's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. You can try to instruct and correct behavior, but unless the heart is reformed, they're just going to repeat it again and again and again. If they want to sin, they will find a way to sin. Absolutely. It's not about, you know, controlling this or putting in this new law. We have to move to the heart. And that message was quickly dismissed and quickly 
uh, not repudiated, but just blown off as if I'm some crazy religious nut. Uh, but but it's so true. And, you know, with the blood thing, it's funny. I, I remember a few years ago listening to an author and professor, and he started off his talk by saying, Christianity is an unusual religion. <laughs> and and he went on to explain what he meant by that. But it, but it is. You cannot find anything like Christianity. That's why I think people have to take it so seriously, to heavily consider with all the world religions out there, all the systems of performance and doing and doing and doing and doing some more. And yet, when you read the story of the Bible, you find this beautiful love letter from the beginning to the end, as you said, Dan, pointing forward towards a Savior. The picture is here, and it's so clear. And isn't it, I think, comforting to know that God values life. Absolutely. Very much so. And he values us as his creation, so much so that he would send his son, God in the flesh, to pay for our sin, to shed his own blood. That is wholly unique to Christianity. Oh, it's amazing. It is. And, it's not, and, and when you read the Bible, it's actually not that hard to comprehend. No. Once you actually read the Bible and start to understand what it's about. Now, Brian, could you say, look at me, I'm like, well, let me ask you this, I'm Larry <laughs> King. Could, could you kind of say that maybe the first sin is selfishness? Because Eve, Eve and Adam, they wanted to, they wanted what God had. So could you actually say that, I know it was sin and selfishness, but could you say that sin was the first sin? Selfishness was the first sin. Yeah, I I say the first sin is the desire to be your own god, which is selfish at the core. I'll be God, uh, and the reason is because we convince ourselves life will be better with me in charge. I can't trust God. I'm going to take charge, and that is selfish to the core. No question about it. What do you think God hates worse? Wanting to be your own god. Or watching the ABC Friday Night lineup. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I threw it. Wow, that's that's really a deep question. Uh, I I don't remember studying that in seminary. Do you, Brian? No, but you know, i only kidding. Genesis one through eleven. That is the storyline. It's two paths. Yeah. Those who are determined to be their own god, and those who are willing to surrender to God as God. And I think the New Testament refers back to the temptation as the desire to be your own God. It's at the core of, of all these problems. So I'm curious. There are people who are listening today who are intimidated by reading the Bible. We're both preachers, teachers, and there are moments when I get to passages and I go, man, this is really hard to comprehend. So I got to believe that there are many people, maybe even you, Dan, when you come to the Bible, you're like, man, I... Uh, this is a lot to take in. I don't understand. What would you suggest for those people who are who do want to read and do want to try to get in there, but they're intimidated or they're confused? I, what should they do? Well, before you answer it, here's what I did. I found a Bible that explains the texts. Hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm not promoting anybody's Bible, but I bought a David Jeremiah Bible. Hmm. And there are text explanations to almost every verse. Hmm. And it really helped me understand the difficult, the difficult uh, verses. So you have to find a Bible 
that does that, that explains what the text is, that's easy to read and easy to understand. Because look, a lot of I, some of the stuff you can, you know, like if you get some of these scholars that r- write stuff, you, the explanations are more harder to understand than the. <laughs> but I find that mm-hmm. there's certain Bibles that have great um, explanations of the verses. That's one Bible that I like. So you have to find a Bible that gives you the the, the explanations, and that's just what helped me. Hmm, so that's I great. Don't know what Brian that's great advice. Yeah, that's that is that. There are so many resources today. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I think that really helps people is it's not written like a John Grisham novel. Mm. The storyline doesn't make sense from Genesis to Revelation. So we have what we call the Leviticus Club, and that is people get through Genesis, and it's pretty good. Then they get through Exodus and do okay, and then they get to Leviticus, and they go in the tanker and quit. Because it's so confusing. So I'm not the only one. No, the, didn't the Leviticus Club get caught with a big kegger last week? <laughs> the, the Leviticus Club. Was that the Leviticus Club? <laughs> it's a big one, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I usually recommend people start in certain books in the New Testament mm. that, that uh, they can read and understand. The Gospels are a good place to start. Mm-hmm. But a study Bible, like Dan's talking about, is a great suggestion. Uh, the Bible Study Project. Mm-hmm. Online, there's just a lot of well, places that, to go to get help. That's the thing. There's really no excuse in this day and age to not be able to understand the text of the Bible. There's so many things out there that have been written. But when you read the Bible, people, I read the whole Bible, didn't it? Well, there's a difference between reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, or reading to just read it, or mm. reading to understand it. Mm. You know, if you just read it, you're not, you know, you're just reading it to get through it, mm-hmm. it it's not going to help you. But if you're reading it to really want to understand it, remember, God tells us, you know, he's knocking, just open the door and let him in. I mean, he tells you, if you really, really want to know this, then you'll know it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a fact. Yeah, that's a great point, too. This isn't a game to God. He's not playing hide-and-seek or right. where's Waldo. Mm-hmm. God wants to be known. That's why he's revealed himself. And if people are sincere, then God will, will reveal himself through his word and through uh, other ways, too, through people. Absolutely. That's all for today's episode of Talking Truth. Before we go, check out Brian's book, An Unshakable Foundation a powerful resource for our time, covering the writings of Genesis to help you stay rooted in the truth of your Creator. Find the link in our descriptions. Brian and Dan will be back talking truth very soon, so be sure to subscribe. Get her done.